The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. someone you know has a child with autism in their family answers and support can be hard to come by welcome to autism spectrum radio we will offer practical information for parents of children of all ages as well as explore treatment topics and recent research related to autism now here is this week's host hey everybody welcome to autism spectrum radio i'm your host rob Haupt. I am the Vice President of Business Development at Autism Spectrum Therapies, as well as a board-certified behavior analyst. Um, kind of a gray and gloomy, rainy day here in Los Angeles, but uh, despite uh, the weather out here, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm in a pretty good mood. Um, you know, at this point, I, I, God, I think we've been doing this together six, seven months now on the show, uh, getting to know one another. And, and I got a really exciting news that uh, I want to share with all of you. I got a call last night um, from, from my in-laws uh, letting me know that my, uh, my niece was born last night. Uh, so I'm going to be an uncle for the second time. Uh, my sister-in-law gave birth to a little girl named Maria Victoria. Uh, she's Nine pounds, uh, born last night about uh, 10:45 p.m. here on the on the West Coast, um, and I'm I'm really excited. I'm actually going to go uh, a little after the show today and go get to meet her for the really for uh, the first time. Um, so just a big smile on my face today. Uh, excited for my family. Uh, excited to have a new niece. Uh, I I try and be that uncle who just plays and spoils uh my nieces and nephews and just tries to be uh the fun uncle um so yeah just in a great great mood as a result um you know getting into into this week and the show and um i i had a kind of an odd week and i, and I had this conversation uh last week that's really been lingering uh for the last few days and and really was present over the weekend um, I had a conversation with a friend uh, who's not directly in the field of autism, or sorry, not directly in the field of ABA, but but very much in the field of autism. And we were talking about where this is going. Um, we were talking about the future, and you know, not so much of what today is going to be, um, but what the next few years are going to be, what five years from now is going to look like, what 10 years from now are going to look like. And and my friend had a lot of fears and a lot of concerns, and he was raising what some of these might be, um, where he thought some of the insurance was going to go, where he thought some of the, the funding that the states and the schools have to offer may go, what the fates of services may look like and uh, as technology came. And you know, we're talking about some pros. We were talking about some cons. And... I said to him that the one thing about what we do 
is autism is unlike anything I feel like I've ever seen. Um, I've, I've never seen a dialogue like this. And I, and I said, regardless of what we think may happen, there's this big part that I think is going to be left undefined, at least by us and at least by the funding, you know, whether it be insurance schools, et cetera. And I think it's ultimately going to be defined by the individuals and the families, um, the people who are most immediately touched by autism and who understand it and, and are impacted by it, I think are going to define where this all goes in a way that other things have not been. And that conversation has been lingering with me. And then for days, I feel like that thought of there's nothing quite like the dialogue around autism has been popping up. I feel like I'm hearing it everywhere. Um, I, I listen to the radio a lot. Uh, you guys know I travel quite a bit. I, I get to travel across the country. I get to travel across California. And when I'm in a car, I'm all about uh, talk radio. I actually don't listen to a ton of music in the car. I'm more of a music person at home. And I felt like every conversation I heard on the radio for the last five days has seemed to tie into autism or there'll be some quick commercial or dialogue about autism. Um, I mean, I, the autism speaks ads that are on the radio right now, uh, there's a lot of them and there are some really great ones. Um, some of them are, uh, autism speaks, um, and they talk about the odds of Ernie Els becoming a professional golfer and winning these majors and then the odds of him having a child with autism. So these million to one, nine million to one odds of him being this superstar golfer, yet one in 110 odds of him having a child with autism. And then the odd uh, similar commercials um, about other athletes out there. Um, and then in the middle of the night, the other night, I woke up because uh, I actually sleep with the radio on. I need to I have a little earpiece and I listen to talk radio just to help me sleep. It's kind of one of my self-regulatory behaviors and skills and uh, prone to wake up in the middle of the night from time to time and have the, the radio on sleep. And I press the button to put it back on to help me go back to sleep. And what do I listen to? A brand new foundation that's putting on its first annual event uh, to raise money for autism. And it's started by a husband and wife um, who have a, a daughter on the spectrum and wanted to raise awareness and funds for uh, awareness for autism and treatment, um, but also funds for underprivileged families who maybe can't afford services. And it was this perfect storm of dialogue. And I just believe so strongly that the future of this is, is so undefined that we have an opportunity to really craft and to really define uh, what services look like what effective treatment looks like, what funding is out there. And I, and I really believe more than ever before that it won't be me. Um, I, I will have a voice. I hope to have a voice. I want to have a voice. Um, but it's going to be you. Uh, it's going to be parents and family members and loved ones and friends of individuals with autism who are going to shape all of this and who are going to create uh, the future of what this all looks like. So... I think we have a great opportunity to to build something and to divine, define something um, for the people we love. And I think having these dialogues is the foundation, but the more we can get out there and influence 
other people, whether it be our uh, neighbors, our coworkers, the people who are in our local governments, our state governments, our federal governments, let them know what is going on, what our kids are benefiting from, how they're benefiting from it, why it's important. Uh, I think that's going to really shape the future of this more than anything else. So let's get into uh, to our guest. Let's talk a little bit about what what treatment is out there, what things we should be looking for, how to put this together. Uh, so we've got the clinical definitions of what it is so we can create this dialogue and spread it to a greater population. Uh, today I'm, get, I'm joined by actually a fellow ABAer. Uh, my guest today is uh, Dr. Jim Ball. And uh, Dr. Ball is a, a board-certified behavior analyst who's been working in the private sector of autism for a little over 25 years in a variety of different settings. Uh, he's been providing educational, employment, and residential services to both children and adults who are affected by autism. Uh, Dr. Ball's lectured nationally as well as internationally. Uh, he's provided expert test testimony. Uh, he's published in a, a number of areas, including early intervention, um, behavior, consultation services, social skills, technology, and trauma. Uh, he's featured author and is on the advisory board for the Autism Asperger's Digest magazine. In 2008, uh, he uh, released a triple award-winning book called Early Intervention in Autism, Real-Life Questions, Real-Life Answers. Uh, he is a former board of trustee member for the Autism, or sorry, the New Jersey Center for Outreach and Services for Autism Community um, and it's also a member of the Autism New Jersey Professional Advisory Board. Um, and for anyone out there uh, in New Jersey who is not aware of Autism New Jersey, it's a fabulous organization that is doing incredible work. So if you're out in that neck of the woods, uh, it's, it's something to look up because they're, they're fantastic. I, I've been really impressed with everything I've seen them do. Um, so, Dr. Jim, thanks for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me and congratulations on your new niece. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited. It's uh my wife was jumping up and down uh both last night and this morning just uh with energy and excitement. So we're 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 in a good place. So thank it's, you. It's awesome and I they just I I always love the smell of the new baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's always interesting cuz last night I did a actually did a parent meeting here. I'm in I'm in Charleston, West Virginia right now even though I'm based mm. in New Jersey. Um sure. and I was uh had a parent meeting last night. We had about 80 families out, which was awesome, wow. you know, to talk about strategies and what's going on in the field and there were a couple newborns there, so it was it was great to just just see them. They're just so wonderful to watch. Well, you know, the the thing that I've been thinking a lot about and um has been my uh, my nephew who's three years old, and you know making sure that you know we give him that a good balance of attention and uh, responsibility as being this little big brother. So we uh, we've actually come up with like little behavior strategies for everyone of how to reinforce all his good behaviors and him being a good big brother and and all that good stuff too. So it's gonna be I'm just excited to see you know see both of them actually. It'll be just just a fun day. That's so. awesome. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we've got a commercial break coming up in a little bit. But before we get there, you know, I, I'm always curious every time I have a, a, a professional on the show, I, I'm always curious, how did you get started in autism? What 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 got you here? Actually, I wanted to 
coach football and be a history teacher at a ho- at a high school uh, ever since I was probably eight or nine years old. Wow. And and I had that life goal, always wanted to do it, played, had had the great fortune to be able to play at the high school level. Then I went on to college and a small Division three school in New Jersey called uh, Trenton State, which is now the College of New Jersey. And sure. I played four years there. And actually, my head football coach asked me one day to go downstairs in my dorm. And it was a Sunday morning. And you know, in college on a Sunday morning, you just want to sleep in. Um, but he said, listen, they have this friendship club that they run every week. Would you just go down, you know, because they needed some volunteers. And, and I went down and I worked with a little guy named Kevin. And Kevin, I didn't know at that time, was a, a, a young man on the spectrum. He was just, a, you know, a kid that was part of this program. And I worked with him probably over the next year, fell in love with him and went down there every uh, chance I got to be part of that program. And you know, never thought of it again after, you know, the following year. And then when I started my master's program, I needed a job. Uh, and I went to the Eden Institute in Princeton, which is one of the premier private schools in New Jersey for, for individuals yeah. on the autism spectrum, and got a uh, job as a teacher aide um, and then never looked back. You know, it's so funny. I, I listened to that. I'm like, yeah, I think about 50 percent of that actually applies to me perfectly. High school football wanted to be a history teacher, uh, got into this and kind of uh, through more of a volunteer opportunity. I, I, I can relate to that all too well. Uh, that is awesome. Well, I, I, I hate to, to have to cut us off right here, um, but we've got to go to a commercial break. So when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about what you're doing, um, some of the families uh, and, the, and the strategies uh, you're providing them out in the field. So let's cool. take a break and we'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we are committed to supporting families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, creating futures for individuals with autism. Visit autismtherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host, Rob Haupt, and I'm joined today by my guest, uh, Dr. Jim Ball. Um, You know, Jim, you were telling us about your experience and and how you got into the field. And, you know, as I was, as I was kind of looking into your bio and your background and, and your practice, you know, one of the things I thought was really interesting is that it seems like you've kind of specialized and, and have a lot of experience in early intervention. 
but you also have a lot of experience uh, working with the adult population. And, you know, I, I feel like that's something we don't always see too much. We kind of see people specialize in one or the other. Um, is there, you know, how that come about and, and are there benefits uh, for one population um, that you have the expertise in the other? Yeah, it's it's interesting because I did about 10 years of my career in adult services when I was with Eden. Um, I had the great fortune of working with David Holmes, who was our executive director at the time, who um, had a passion for working with adults. And I'm going back into the 80s. So this was before they were really looking at specialized adult services for individuals on the spectrum. Um, and they were doing group home services. They were doing supported living services. They were doing work-related services, especially competitive and secured employment opportunities. Uh, and I had just had a great ten-year experience, and also at that time had the had again the great fortune of working with Peter Gerhardt, who uh, nationally is known as a uh, person who works with adults. Um, yeah, so awesome. I, I was well trained by by some very very good very good mentors and. Um, Love the adults just like I, I do the little ones. I mean, um, my career is, has spanned, you know, uh, that 25, 26 years, and I've had the, you know, great fortune of working with so many different, um, you know, great teams of people, but also in early intervention, in residential settings, in school settings, in private practice, in working with individuals one-to-one -one with Asperger's that are going to college, and then working with severely challenged kids on the spectrum that are nonverbal and aggressive and, and getting them through some of those challenges and keeping them in their home environments and also in their, in their uh, school programs. So, you know, and, and to me, it's just, it's just the best of all worlds because I get to work with so many different uh, really wonderful people. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I feel the same way. I, I kind of, every, everyone's so unique and, and that's, what's kind of cool about what we do. We get to work with such diverse people with diverse ideas and, and interests and just passions that it, it can be pretty exciting. Well, and also the families. I mean, I just, you know, yeah. you, you, the families are, are to me the, 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 the cream of the top of what you do because I've got so many great friends now that I would have never met, you know, if I didn't work in the field of autism, you know, not just the parents, but also the individuals, you know, yeah. some of my best friends are, are people, you know, on the spectrum and I just love who they are. And, and the, the best thing about it is I just love that they just, you know, are the most comfortable people in their own skin. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I wish I was that comfortable in my own skin at sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, spend a little time talking about the early intervention and uh, and talking about little, some of the things uh, from your book. But I was curious, did that adult experience, how much did that help preparation for a lot of the, the advice you gave and a lot of the strategies you, you help families with when it comes to early intervention? Is, is there a lot of benefit to having that Hey, this is the 30 years from now vision. I, you hit it right, the nail right on the head. I think for me, that experience, you know, gave me so much more insight into, you know, the sticking points for a lot of our individuals as they grow older. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and when I talk to parents and I talk to educators, I'm always about you know, saying to them, listen, you need to worry about your kids that you work with right now, you know, and project out maybe a year, maybe two years. I said, when I'm looking at that little person, I have to look at them as a 21-year-old adult, because mm -hmm. if I'm not, then I'm not doing my job correctly, because I need to get them to have skill levels at that time that they can go out and be productive people, because at this point in time, as we all know, the adult services system in, in, in our country is, is woeful, you know, at best when yeah. it comes to providing, you know, autism-specific services. 
services, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I wear many hats. So as my hat with the executive, as the executive chair of the National Autism Society, you know, our, our you know, five-year plan is really heavily looking at adult services, but we're going to have to affect that change just like we did many, many years ago when we, mm-hmm. you know, looked at Public Law 94-142, which gave, you know, obviously entitlement services. And I love the way you started your show off about talking about parents because, you know, parents were the catalyst behind 94-142 or the All Education yep. of All Handicap Act, you know, uh, and that's how it's going to happen when we do the adult services agenda, too. But the Autism Society is, is the, you know, the oldest organization in the country working with, you know, um, families. Uh, mm-hmm. And we're all about service provision. And right now, really, you know, we have over 200 chapters nationally and trying to get them mobilized on this adult services issue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've we've talked a lot about the adult services issue um, on the show. And, and it seems to be one of the things that, whether it be on the show, whether it be on Facebook, it seems to be the thing everyone seems most, I guess, I'm, I'm kind of lost for the right word, but, you know, passionate and um and really, I guess, concerned about because we're seeing that all the kids where we started to get these diagnoses in place maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when the awareness really started to pick up, um, they're all becoming teenagers now. And mm-hmm. a lot of families are asking, what do I do next? Right. How does this evolve? Right. Yeah. You, you touched upon something that I'm, I'm actually um, curious about. And I feel like I'll, I bet a lot of our families or parents who are listening would probably have questions about is that, you know, I like how you said this. You're looking at this little one, like a 21 year old. I have to be prepared for what life is going to be and then create a plan to get this little one there. Um, And I know a lot of families have said when they when they buy into that idea, it really opens up their eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, But they find that maybe their elementary school principal or their special ed teacher or uh, maybe some one else who's providing uh, some services or funding maybe doesn't share that view. And so would you have any tips for families of maybe how to go about expressing that to someone who maybe is kind of on the contrary saying, no, I only, you know, I'm worried about second grade, not eighth grade. Yeah. Well, like, like I said, you know, for, for a lot of the teachers um, and the professionals I work with, Mm-hmm. I really want them to have that shorter term vision only mm-hmm. because they can concentrate on those skills mm-hmm. right now. But I look at the skills long term that the kids are going to need and then look at their prerequisites. So when the, we're developing goals and objectives that are in the IEP, it's really about moving you know, them forward on, okay, it might not be the skill I want right now, but it's the prerequisite to what I need as the child gets older. So it's really about looking at what those um, objectives are in the IEP and making sure that there's a continuum of those services as the child progresses through their educational years. Got it. Yeah, it sounds like if a parent can kind of go in there with this sense of, you know, because obviously not every parent can maybe have the luxury or afford to have someone like you come come into their child's IEP and oversee every element. But if they kind of have start developing benchmarks for themselves, they can kind of put this individual IEP benchmark or this individual goal and see how it fits in, whether it's a prerequisite to something they're building towards or um, maybe it's exactly what they are trying to build towards. Yeah, or looking or, or also taking the perspective that, okay, as the child gets older, they're either going to go to college or they're mm-hmm. going to go into the work world. There's, there's mm-hmm. only two options. 
Mm. You know, um, and as they look at the options as their child gets older, what are the skill levels are they going to need? Because we always we all know that right from the very beginning, you need to have social skills pieces. Because in order for these individuals to have a really good quality of life long term, it is going to determine uh, what's going to determine that is really going to be their social skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and those need to be a, an integral part of any IEP. And I know a lot of times districts, you know, will, will quabble over, well, that's not really educational. We push those into the educational realm by mm-hmm. making them functional as the kids have to do certain things in speech and language, you know, mm-hmm. or in any kind of their receptive skills. So mm-hmm. even though we might not say it's social skills, we mask it under those areas that make it more educationally relevant for mm-hmm. our individuals. Um, mm-hmm. But social skills for families is, is, I think, the number one key component that they need to have as part of that process, because that is really going to determine their child's quality of life. And is there a specific aspect within that general social skills umbrella that you kind of say, hey, this is the thing you got to hit? Well, when I look at early intervention, the, the things that I stress with my families are are, are, are mainly three components mm-hmm. and, and and that's not me that's not you know, I'm not meaning to say that you know, Jim Ball said only teach three things. That's not what I'm oh, saying. Oh, absolutely. You know, and a lot of people are like, oh, my God, you, you know, you're, you're killing me here because <laughs> we're not doing the academics. I'm like, no, no, but there are three really key aspects and a fourth that fringes on it, but three key aspects that kids really need to leave um, a, a preschool program or a home program in early intervention. And the first one is, is to be toilet trained. Um, and I'll get on that soapbox every day because I, yeah. I just see kids all the time in middle and high school programs that still are not at least schedule trained. Um, and what happens is as they get older, that is going to curtail what kinds of um, adult services options they have because mm-hmm. not a lot of adult, appropriate adult services places for our kids will take individuals that aren't toilet trained. Uh, well, it, and, even limits, it limits even the preschool options. I mean, I, I actually just spoke with a family – who their child is on track for everything for this great preschool where he's going to get uh, a ton of exposure to uh, typically developing peers and his toilet training is what's going to hold him back from getting in. Mm-hmm. So now they have to almost take a step backwards and say, whoa, we did all this great social. We did all this great communication. We did all this great behavior management. We left out this adaptive piece, right. which has all these implications. Sorry, I didn't oh, mean absolutely. to cut you off, but it, it yep. hit me even with those, you know, with this little three-year-old, it was, where we had to really focus in on. So. Right. And, and it's just a sin when you walk into some of these. You know, unless the child really does have a physical issue, you know, they should have been toilet trained. I, I mean, yeah. that, that's, that's critical to their, again, to their quality of life. You mm-hmm. know, and the second piece to me is in the joint attention skills um, mm-hmm. because that's really going to make meaningful relationships long term. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know there, you know, people people struggle with the strategies, um, but you know, through repetition, through shaping and chaining, you know, play skills, you know, I really do think that, you know, and behavioral momentum, we can really get those kids to understand that they need to interact with their peers because mm-hmm. we've done such a nice job since I've been in this field getting them to interact with adults, but we've done the, the poorest job of getting them to interact with their peers, mm-hmm. uh, and that again is going to be critical for them long term in their social skills development. Uh, and I just love the work of Michelle Garcia Winner uh, when she talks about social thinking, you know, and, and, the, and the work of Jed Baker, I mean, and people like that who have really incorporated a lot of these, you know, whole body perspectives into, into what, they, what they do when they look at, you know, social skills development in, in these individuals. Mm-hmm. And the last and I think most important to me um, is getting them to um, react 
and to um, be able to follow adult direction because mm-hmm. that's what's going to make them successful in any kind of classroom that they go into. Yeah. Excellent. Well, we've got another break that we need to take. Um, so we'll take another commercial break, and then I want to talk a little bit more about uh, some of these some of these approaches, some of these uh, areas for our families to focus in on, and also get a little bit more uh, of your thoughts about some of the things you see across the country, because I'm sure as you get to travel across the country into different communities, um, there's some things that uh, I'm sure you've learned from from these different pockets, whether there be some differences, but also a lot of similarities. So we'll we'll get to that when we come back from this break. Cool. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we are committed to supporting families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, creating futures for individuals with autism. Visit autismtherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, I'm joined by my guests today, uh, Dr. Jim Ball, uh, who has over 25 years' experience uh, providing uh, behavior therapy to uh, individuals with autism, both children and adults. Uh, you know, right before the break, we were talking about uh, those three key areas in the, in the social skill world um, for early intervention. Um, and I was curious, you know, almost taking, uh, again, another step backwards in the early intervention piece. Um, I know your your book is really focusing in on real-life questions, real-life answers. And I think the, the first kind of question you pose to the reader um, is what do you need to do first? And I, and I think that's something that we talk about, but you know, can't be stressed enough of, I get this diagnosis. Where, where should a family start? How do they start? Yeah. The, and, and to me, the, the number one thing is to take a deep breath, mm-hmm. understand that this isn't a life sentence of any kind. It's not going to be horrible. Uh, autism is treatable. We know that. 
and mm-hmm. you can and you can see that in the research. Um, and then start to put your game plan together. As I talked about before, I, I come from an athletic background, so a lot of the things that, that I, I've done in, ath- in athletics, I've really taken into you know, working you know, with kids on the spectrum because I like to have a game plan. And mm-hmm. the first part of that game plan is always assembling your team. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got to assemble those people, first of all, around you that you trust, um, and then those people that have a background that, you know, understand and get autism because they can guide you and steer you. Because I always tell families that I work with, you know, you're always going to have a gut reaction to something. And normally that's going to be the correct reaction. You're either going to love it or hate it or something's going to give you either a really good feeling or a really bad feeling. And they need to go with that. Um, and I've always worked with my families with, with that aspect. But taking that gut reaction to their team and having that discussion because you know what mm-hmm. that's where you're going to get the most information so the first thing is really understanding how to develop that team and in the book which I was really you know thankful for getting and, and actually Temple Grandin who wrote the uh, forward um, and, I, and I've known Temple now for, for quite a while and actually speak with her many many times a year uh, with Future Horizons who, who published our books mm. um, she uh, uh, was animate and said, Jim, listen, you know, if I'm going to put, if I'm going to write the forward to your book, you need to, you know, let families know how to start working with their kids right away. So there's three scenarios in the book that walk you through a typical day of a child with three different families that are using different strategies. Um, and it's interesting how you find those teachable moments and you see these families work through, you know, some of the meltdowns and what their strategies mm-hmm. look like. And it's really good for, for families that are, that are newly diagnosed to, to look at that section and see, okay, you know, where, where does that teachable moment start and, you know, where does it end and where do I treat them like, you know, a two-and-a-half, three-year-old and where do I need to, you know, use a strategy in order to get them to respond. Yeah. Now, that, that sounds great. Um, you know, you talked about building a team and, you know, it's funny, I was going to ask you one of my questions that I've already crossed out because I, I know it now. I was going to ask you like where this team mentality came from, because I feel like that's something that within at least the ABA field uh, is sometimes lacking. You know, I think a lot of times professionals get a little maybe overly confident or um, feel like we know best right. and sometimes neglect the team. But the moment you said uh, in the beginning of the show about your football background, I was like, oh, I know where this team came from. It's, it's the teamwork of a, you know, of a, of a lineman, of a, of a team of 11 guys going out there to, to do something. Um, but do you have tips for families of, of how to, how to look for the right teammates? Like, uh, if a family is looking for, like, what kind of questions do I ask? How do I get this information? Um, because I know that's a question I get a lot from families of, like, what kind of questions should I be asking? Right. Well, I think I, I think a lot of families know right away when they meet people whether they're mm-hmm. going to be able to work with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you want people that are going to be real open with you. Uh, it's funny because with a lot of the families that I work with, I'll always tell them, I'm like, don't ask the question unless you want a real honest answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the families that I do the best with because some people sure. want that real honest answer. And others mm-hmm. are just, okay, what do the strategies look like and what do we need? So I, I think mm-hmm. families, as they go into it, um, 
needs to to vet the people that are going to be part of that team, you know, in a process. And, and the questions to ask, I really think, come from where your child falls on the spectrum, because mm-hmm. every kid's going to be very different. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, in the book, there's a, there's a whole section on all the different, you know, things you want to look for in team members. Um, but to me, the number one is the, their experience with actually working with kids. You know, having a hands-on or sometime in their career a hands-on, you know, relationship with individuals on the spectrum. Because I really, truly believe that, you know, you can read all you want about it and you can lecture all you want about it. But unless you work with kids, you know, these Mm -hmm. kids, you learn so much more from the kids than you'll ever learn from a textbook. Yeah. I feel like I I tell the stories of what happened to me 10 years ago more than anything else. And, Mm -hmm. And it's almost, you know, I think... Most of the time, I think parents can relate to that better because it's this is real. This right. was a real person, a real situation, and it, it's a better representation of their life than a textbook that says this is how you should go about implementing you know, this procedure. Right. Yeah, but I think that's really good for folks out there. Um, you know, you, you talk about fit, and I, and I really um, – I, I really liked – you know, when I was, was on your website before – I really like the way you were you were really focusing in on the individual, and I and I think that's that's something that um, is becoming a bigger bigger part of our field where mm-hmm. people are really looking at the person and right. not saying hey it, we're an A to Z way but you know this is a guide that we have to kind of tweak and tailor. Um, are you finding that? Um, are you finding that it's become easier with with this idea in terms of building a team are you finding that more and more people are actually getting on board with that idea and collaborating together and um or has that been something that's been a kind of a struggle for you as you've been working with all of these uh different team members I think it's it, it, it comes it all comes together when you get to the meeting because when people sit around and you start talking about this little person this little guy or this little girl or this a big girl or this big guy you know um the people around the table really start to talk about the individual. Um, actually just had a meeting this morning with a family, um, and we were talking about the young man. And I, I, look, I look the district in the face, and I look the parents in the face, and I said, hey, listen, we're here to talk about the child. So you know what? I hope that it, it, it resonates with the family. I hope it resonates with the district. But bottom line, it's about the kid. It's about the mm-hmm. child. And when you throw that out at the beginning of a meeting and you get people to really focus in on that kid and you tell a story about them or you talk about them, it really brings everybody, you know, to, to face, you know, what we're, you know, there's no politics involved. There's no, mm-hmm. you know, we're not looking at all the periphery things. We're looking at what is in the best interest of that child. And mm-hmm. I got to say that, you know, nine times out of 10 at, at a lot of those meetings, people fall into that. And then you really start having meaningful dialogue around, you know, what's the best treatment options and what are the best services for this individual nice yeah i think that you know i think that's good advice for any parent that they can probably put together is you know really if i if they start off every meeting that way it kind of puts it into that perspective for the rest of the team members too that's cool um you know i I mentioned it before we went to the commercial i'm really curious about the the traveling you do Mm -hmm. um you know i i it's one of the favorite parts of my job. I love going to these different places and meeting different people. Um, I, you know, it's just it's fun to hear someone's story and find out more about them and and what what their kind of goals are, what they're working on, what kind of things they could use help on, and and then how I can maybe help. 
Um, but I was curious if, you know, getting to see such diverse communities all across the country and, and even internationally, are there any trends that you've seen where, you know, this is a consistent trend, a consistent message that you're getting of maybe what's missing from a dialogue or from from services um, that these different communities have given you? Right. Um, I actually, you know, I do a lot of work in West Virginia. I do a lot of work in Lafayette, Louisiana. Um, I do a lot of work in Texas. Um, I actually was just in Casper, Wyoming. Um, wow. And the interesting part is that um, autism looks exactly the same in all of those locations. It doesn't look any different in Casper, Wyoming than it does in Lafayette, Louisiana. You know, the, the, the kids are consistent. Um, mm-hmm. But the one thing I see... Um, that just drives me crazy, and especially in the preschool settings, are the lack of communication systems. You know, mm. as we know, as, as behaviorists, you know, the number one function of behavior is always going to be communication. You know, these kids are always communicating something, and if they don't have a voice, whether it be their own or through pictures or through some kind of voice output device, they can't tell you what it is they want. So what do they do? They have behaviors because those behaviors are very consistent. They're there. They can use them immediately to get that need or want met. And the one thing that I just see so much throughout the country and, and, and even internationally when I go is the lack of those systems. Because if you have a verbal child, everybody puts their eggs in that verbal basket, and they really don't use visuals, or they really don't use, you know, other types of, of augmentative communication options for that individual that can be prompted so that when you see an antecedent behavior, you know, before the meltdown, you can get the kid to, to use their communication and say, wow, you know, this works. This communication thing works. This gets me what I need. You know, and that's when we really see decreases in behavior. And I, and I think that's the one glaring thing that I see in most places, especially at the, the preschool level. You know, and the, and the little ones that I see are those lack of real functional communication systems. Hmm. You know, and that's and it's it's funny that you say that because I, I I certainly wasn't expecting that to be the answer, just because I, I feel like that almost sometimes is like the most obvious one we talk about too. Mm-hmm. But but you know, we we say okay, we know our kids have communication deficits, and that's something we've got to tackle and hit. Right. Um, but I guess to just illustrate that's you know sometimes easier said than done. Uh, something in theory can make perfect sense, but the execution of that can be a lot more complicated. Yeah, because I'd actually seen. I mean, you know, going around the the, the one good thing is that, that is that people are getting with what the diagnosis is, and and that was hmm. you know. Five or six years ago, I would have told you that it was, you know, kids being mis, mis you know, labeled or, or being misdiagnosed um, and not overly diagnosing autism, believe it or not, but underdiagnosing sure. it. Um, yeah. uh, because I see a lot of kids that will get an intellectual disability, or at least years ago, I used to see a lot of kids that will get an intellectual disability when they were clearly kids on the spectrum. Yeah. Um, and needed very different, you know, learning environments and, and needed, you know, more, you know, direct instruction through like discrete trial teaching and other, mm-hmm. uh, you know, applied behavior analysis, you know, um, scientific, you know, methodologies that, that would have been really much better for them as opposed to being in a life skills room where they could escape all the time and were teaching really bad behaviors. Um, mm-hmm. So six years ago, I would have told you it was more about getting it right when, you come, when it comes to diagnosis. But I've, I've been seeing so much a more, you know, um, I guess better, uh, you know, diagnosis than I've seen in the past. That's, that's fantastic. I mean, I, I it's nice to hear that because I felt like anecdotally I've been noticing that a little bit too because um, mm-hmm. it's funny. I, I was thinking you, you said Lafayette, Louisiana, and, 
you know, as our listeners know, I spend a lot of time in New Orleans and I've, I've spent a, a, actually a decent amount of time in Lafayette as well. And like the awareness there has actually really impressed me. And, and families have been saying that to me is we feel like we know this. People are more aware of the diagnosis. There's more dialogue about it. But um, it's the next steps that they're still struggling with, obviously. So it's that's great. That's and really I, and good I think the hear. outreach efforts, especially because we have a, you know, the Autism Society has a very strong state chapter um, mm-hmm. in, in Louisiana. And yeah, it does. Especially, especially in the uh, in the Lafayette area, we, you know, the Acadiana chapter is just excellent. And they get a lot of yeah. really good information out to people. Yeah, no, they, they do an amazing job. I I actually was at one of their events a couple of years ago and, and really impressed. And um, it's exciting that the New Orleans chapter has actually been building uh, momentum over the last year and a half. So I, yep. I'm, I'm really excited for them. Their their president is just is a phenomenal woman who just um, I think is is really getting on board and trying to use the Acadiana model as, right. as much as possible too. Well, and actually, one of our new board members on our national board is actually from the Acadiana chapter. Oh, really? So, yeah. So we have Louisiana representation on our board. Um, she's the awesome. she's the mother of a of a an adult daughter uh, with uh, Aspergers. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, I actually I think I know who I think I know who you're talking you, about. Do you know Donna? I, I think I've met Donna okay. a while okay. back. Yeah, great yeah. lady. Very great briefly, lady. but she seemed like a great lady. She was the one. I, I don't know if the event you went to was their walk, but they they put on one of the best walks that I've ever seen in the yeah. autism it, community. You know, I feel like every walk I've been to in the state of Louisiana, I always say, is one of the best walks <laughs> I've ever been to. I think, yep. uh, you know, the every walk I've been to there has just been a big party, and it's like an all-day event of food yep. and entertainment, yep. and it's yep. just uh, – I, lo- I I just love everyone over there. They're so nice and inviting. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we've got one last commercial break that we need to take. Uh, so uh, stick around through this last break, and we'll be back with uh, Dr. Jim Ball for uh, for some closing thoughts and uh, and some follow up. Take care, everyone. We'll be right back. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we are committed to supporting families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, creating futures for individuals with autism. Visit autismtherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we are committed to supporting families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, creating futures for individuals with autism. 
Visit AutismTherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, everybody. We're back for our final segment with Dr. Jim Ball. Um, you know, I feel like we've been spanning the lifespan a little bit today on the show as we talk about just, you know, your diverse background. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to go back to the uh, beginning comment you made um, and kind of keep with this lifespan theme of, you know, you talked about all your different involvement. You, you clearly do a ton of work with the Autism Society of America, which is, which is just an awesome organization for, for our listeners out there who maybe aren't familiar with it. Um, and you were talking about this big dialogue about adult services and, and the emphasis on this this growing aging population of individuals on the spectrum and the types of supports and and services uh, moving forward and I was just maybe hoping you could kind of give us some some closing thoughts on um, on what on where you see it going and and maybe where uh, what you see missing that maybe young professionals who are interested in this could um, get into or get behind or, or things um, for families to be thinking about as their children get older in terms of the things that um, maybe should be next steps for, uh, for advocacy? Yeah, um, the, the Autism Society really in the last couple years has put their five-year plan together for, mm-hmm. you know, strategically and really looking at you know, early diagnosis because we obviously know that the earlier we diagnosis, yep. diagnose a child on the spectrum, the more quantity and quality of the services, the better the prognosis is. You know, we know we have entitlement money for uh, mo- most of our kids from birth to three if they're in that birth to three system, and then they go three through 21 with now IDEIA, the Individuals with Disabilities uh, Improvement Act, you know, Education Improvement Act. And then after that, it sort of drops off to whatever the states are providing. And then, you know, there, and there's pockets of really good programming out there, but sure. you've got to find it or you've got to move. And right now, the way Medicaid is set up, you know, if you move from New Jersey and you get Medicaid and you go to West Virginia, you lose it and go back on their wait list. You know, so right. one of the best thing, you know, one of the biggest things we're looking at right now is working with, you know, um, legislators on really looking at when they do the Medicaid reform, having it be mobile for our families so that they can move from state to state. Um, Mm. That's one piece of it. Another piece is really, you know, talking to housing organizations, talking to employers, talking to um, recreational facilities, and trying to get them on board with us. Because we know, you know, 94-142, IDEIA right now, you know, um, again, we're never going to get a law like that for adults because, let's face it, you know, you're looking at a kid who turns 21 and hopefully they'll live a normal lifespan and they'll live into their 80s. They're going to live a majority of their life as adults. We would we would bankrupt the system trying to think that we could provide that, you know, for all individuals. However, we can incentivize those programming pieces or those businesses to get into our business. So they could get tax breaks or they could get, and I know there's been a lot of them out there, but we don't really think at the Autism Society that they've been really done effectively. So we're really looking from the national perspective at 
you know, uh, turbocharging what we're going to do with, with the, the White House and with Congress on really taking a hard look at what services look like. And we're, we're actually starting that with the, the IAC committee, because I, I happen to be uh, a sitting member of the community of that uh, commission. Um, I was appointed last year um, as one of the community members and really looking at service provision. And they're starting to look at services because they are, a, you know, based on um, the Combating Autism Act, that what formed the the IAC and um, and the National Institutes of Health, and they really look at research in you know looking for the cure and looking for you know markers and those types of things. However, I think the agenda is shifting because everybody's seeing what's going on in the country for our adults, and if you really look at it, it's sad because they're yeah. either underserved or not served at all. And we invest all this money in these individuals up to age 21, and when you watch them leave the, the school system they lose their skill levels pretty quickly. Um, and we need to continue that because if we do, we've seen such great success with kids going on, getting jobs, paying taxes, becoming part of their environments and, and their communities and having a greater quality of life. So our emphasis is really looking at that. And if people are interested in what we're doing, I mean, we have a great contact center at the Autism Society and it's one eight hundred three autism And we're really looking, you know, for people to give us feedback and let us know or if if they have any questions or just need anything, because we're, you know, uh, I'm hoping that by the end of my tenure as the uh, executive chair of the National Autism Society, we're going to be able to fund our call center, you know, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, yeah. um, because families want somebody to talk to, uh, and we want to be there to talk to them and then get them the right resources that they need in their community. I, I think that's I think that's fantastic. Uh, the more voices we have, the better we're going to be able to to you know, tailor this to the people who it's going to help. Mm-hmm. That's, that's fabulous. Um, you know, we're, we're running out of time. Um, I, I appreciate you giving the number to the call center. Um, if anyone out there is just wanting to get more information about kind of what you're doing and, um, and what you're up to, um, is there a good way to, to find you? Uh, do you have a website out there that they could go to? Yep. www.jbautismconsulting.com. Fabulous. Jim, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Rob. All right. And enjoy that uh, little niece. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I, about an hour away, I think, from heading over there. Um, we got two minutes left, everybody. Uh, so uh, thank you for, for tuning in. Um, you know, I really enjoy the way today's show just kind of covered the lifespan. And we kind of started an early invention, moved to some other aspects that to focus on through school age, and, and included a dialogue about adulthood. Because as much as... Um, I try and break things down and we break things down into age groups or, or topics. Um, it's a continuum. Um, it, there's hard work ahead. And uh, I know you guys have a lot of hard work that you're putting in every single day. Um, but it's so important to not lose sight of the future, not lose sight of the past, um, recognize where we started, recognize where we're going. Um, but I love, I love what, what Jim had to say about teamwork. Um, I find that, you know, sports has really influenced my point of view a lot, and uh, there's nothing better, there's nothing more successful than a team coming together, focusing in on the child. Um, I've seen it personally a lot of times, and I feel like every great success that my my clients have had seems to find its way back to that. It's from teamwork. It's not one person, but it's about a group of us coming together, putting together the right plan the right steps, the right goals, and then 
holding each other accountable and supporting one another in our implementation. So uh, have a great week. If you've got questions or comments, please send them my way at more info at autismtherapies.com. Um, please give me feedback and thoughts on Facebook as well. Uh, any topics you guys would like us to cover on this show, I'm all ears. Uh, I'd love to mix it up to make sure we're meeting your needs and, and the specific needs of your family. Uh, have a great week, and I will talk to you later. Take care, everyone. We hope you've had some questions about autism answered this week. Autism Spectrum Radio can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Please join us for another edition next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 